Hello and welcome to Plan Francisco, the new podcast that interviews the best and brightest financial planning professionals in the San Francisco Bay Area. I'm your host, Maxwell Schmitz. I need a plan, a magic key. Today with me, I have the pleasure of speaking with Carol Harnett and Fred Schott with the Council for Disability Awareness. Thank you guys so much for joining. How you doing? Oh, thanks. Thanks for talking to us, Max. We're really appreciative to always talk to you, but particularly this time of year right now with both Dean coming up and a first-in-a-lifetime event for all of us. Right, exactly. I know we were just talking about all of the impacts and things, the various ways people are dealing with what's going on in the world right now. Um, But I did want to kind of take root on what you guys are doing with one, your DM campaign and two, just generally overall and, 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 and how we're changing the landscape of the industry and influencing the way advisors are communicating with, with their, um, with their clientele. So what, I mean, just to start, let's keep it a little bit superficial before we really dive into the fun stuff. But, um, what, what do you think a successful day looks like for the head honchos here at the CDA? Um, You know, I think we're uh, figuring it out every week as much as everybody is, but I'm happy to share what we're currently doing. So for me, uh, for people who aren't aware, the Council for Disability Awareness um, is a virtual organization. Mm -hmm. Um, We are sited in Portland, Maine, but uh, Fred lives in Connecticut and I now live in North Carolina. Um, so we rely, uh, so A, we already work remotely, so that's not new for either one of us. And we both had done that even prior to joining the CDA, so we have a lot of experience around it. That said, it is, it is probably as disruptive to, I'll only speak for myself, but it's as disruptive to me as almost everybody else because the ways I maintain physical contact with humans are all shut down. And so what we've done is, for me, I'm actually in week, this is the end of week four Hmm. of having to stay at home because the county of Durham, which is, I live in Durham, uh, North Carolina, but there's also Durham County. Hmm. The county of Durham declared a state of emergency four weeks ago. So um, I'm a little ahead of everybody, and I have noticed uh, there is definitely phases to this. And I did really well the first three weeks. And one thing Fred and I had already started doing but became incredibly important was we do a daily huddle. Um, And so we do that um, kind of first thing in the morning. And we are doing it much more by FaceTime or uh, other vehicles. Um, I'll let Fred talk about sometimes how we do it on his walks. Um, and I'll, I'll let him talk about that. But uh, Fred, why don't you? So that's one thing that we're doing is we are staying in daily contact, mm-hmm. um, both to support each other professionally, but also personally. So Fred, I'll let you tell a little bit about what you do on a lot of our huddles. Sure. Okay. I'm fortunate in that I can walk within our complex uh, fairly extensively, take its nice natural scenery, and at the same time, engage in phone calls and listen to conference calls, listen to podcasts. So, you know, do things while being on the go, taking in nature and, and all of that stuff, which is a, a huge help. So, 
<laughs> there have been many times when uh, you know Carol gets to hear the uh, the birds and the rapids and whatnot uh, on the uh, on the stream. So you know that that's a helpful practice. And again, it's something that the the, the idea of the daily check-in huddle. Uh, uh, it's kind of repurposed from a, uh, a team I was previously part of before I joined the CDA, and uh, it was a remote team. And every morning they had the daily huddles at 8:46 a.m. And it was 8:46 to kind of be enough of an, an off time so that people would remember. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I like that. Well, I, I I'm glad that you guys highlighted that that balance because I feel like a lot of people, myself included, are doing this work from home for the first time um, and getting a really bad, you know, image of what it means because we don't have those outlets that you're, that you guys are highlighting so well in your own lives, it sounds like. Um, but to that note of balance, I, you know, obviously the mission here with the CDA is to raise awareness about the need for disability income and just broader financial security. Um, and that means you really have to kind of balance the messaging between two audiences, which are brokers uh, or advisors and um, and the, the greater economy, if you will, um, consumers, mm-hmm. and whether it's service sector or, you know, virtually everywhere. How do you guys manage that balance? Is, does it ebb and flow? What is really the the principal way you, you discover your voice, especially during DM? Uh-huh. It's a great question. I'm going to kick it off and then uh, also turn it over to Fred. So the first thing, uh, I should tip both our hands. Um, our background, which a lot of people in the industry don't necessarily know, is I was originally trained as a hardcore scientist oh, wow. um, in physiology and biophysics. Huh. And so data and understanding a problem and getting data is really, really incredibly important to me. And Fred, I will let him describe his background, but he's also very grounded Um, in data and research. Mm -hmm. So um, the first thing we did, and and for people listening, uh, we were telling Max this offline, but I'm actually happy to share this because advisors would understand when when the the novel coronavirus uh, first really came on our radars, which um, for many was probably February, at least in our field, we knew that this was going to be a challenge. the the our the people as we you know we were a nonprofit and the companies that support us really didn't want the brand talking about it so the CBA as a brand and so I'm going to tell the story because I think it's important for advisors and brokers and agents to think about themselves as you're both a person and your company is a brand mm-hmm. they didn't want the brand talking about it yet but yet Fred and I were getting a lot of requests to talk about it. Mm-hmm. So the board was fine with us going, quote unquote, off brand and using our personal brand to do it. And we wrote a piece together that was shared on LinkedIn and then Twitter. And then uh, it was looking at what was about to really happen from the consumer, the working adults point of view. And it got an incredible reception. So we started first with just getting our head around what does this actually mean and including um, advice specifically in this case for employers on what their employees were worried about and things that they could potentially do to offset those worries. And then the next thing we went into, I'm actually going to turn over to Fred, is we started to search for credible data sources. Hmm. Um, 
including our own, but they're, you know, we've never had a time like this, right? So all we can comment on is seasonality of data. But there is a project I'm going to ask Fred to talk about that he cut into and has done a couple analyses on, and all of this data work is starting to inform our message. So Fred, why don't you talk a little bit about that? Okay, the, uh, the data source that, that Carol's referencing is the COVID tracking project. Uh, which is a really fascinating piece of, uh, if you want to call it, you know, citizen journalism, citizen data journalism. Uh, and actually, there was a write-up uh, maybe two or three weeks ago, two weeks ago or so, in the Columbia Journalism Review about the the, the origins, yeah. Uh, uh, the unfolding of, of that project. So uh, there were actually two. Uh, the founders of the project were were two journalists. One of them maybe both of them, I know one of them definitely from the, the Atlantic Monthly, uh, mm-hmm. uh, their you know, prestigious 160-year-old uh, publication that I've subscribed to since, uh, I can't remember when, uh, does very, very good uh, journalism. So they, they have a, a pretty robust site. Uh, it's uh, staffed on a volunteer basis. Uh, currently, they, uh, uh, they're not taking new volunteers because they, they're looking to process in place all of the many offers and requests that they've gotten. Uh, but you know, if they uh, put out a call, a new call for volunteers, I definitely want to uh, want to sign up to, uh, to, to help in the process. But uh, they do a tremendous job in, in terms of uh, uh, updating on a state-by-state basis, uh, data on you know number of tests, positive outcomes, hospitalizations, deaths, and the like by, by state. Uh, one of the things I did last week was uh, a, uh, an initial cut. I upgraded it the, uh, the other day, uh, a week later, and of course, you know, numbers have shifted dramatically. But uh, what I did was uh, kind of looked at it and said, there, there's one dimension that would be helpful here, and that would be uh, overlaying with state population. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, identified some really interesting variations on a state-by-state basis in terms of you know, a number of cases, and this is something that the background from doing work uh, in the uh, disability world, and, and also before that, I did a lot of work in worker comp world, so, you know, one of the important things there is that case counts in and of themselves are, uh, aren't the whole story. You need to normalize them in terms of the underlying population, look at things like incidence rate, prevalence rates, uh, rates per, you know, 100, 100,000 or whatever uh, the appropriate measure. So I, I overlaid some population data. And uh, at that time, uh, you know, yeah, uh, states with the highest case rates per capita and death rates per capita in Washington, but also New York uh, was, was starting to come for uh, to the fore, and there was a guess that, well, if we take a look at New York uh, and break it down by, you know, county and uh, metro area and the like, you'd probably get a little bit more of a granular picture. And I did a follow-up there, and, you know, sure enough, this was like uh, the week of the uh, uh, 26th, uh, March 26th or whatever, you know, it showed that uh, uh, like 98% of the uh, uh, the cases were associated with counties in the New York metro area, but those same counties accounted for only about two-thirds of the uh, population in New York State. So, yeah, the epicenter was, uh, you know, New York metro area. And the same thing, you look at New Jersey, ranks very high as a state. It's the counties that are part of the New York metro area. Connecticut, uh, 
uh, in the state where I live, uh, disproportionately the cases and deaths are in Fairfield County, hmm. which is the popular uh, populous county in the state and also part of the New York metro area. So, you know, and, and uh, the, the latest uh, uh, stat that I took, you know, showed that uh, a state that's coming to the forefront in terms of cases per, per million population uh, and also deaths, uh, Louisiana, uh, that clearly is a function of, you know, some things that are happening in New Orleans uh, and so forth and so on. So that was interesting. But one of the things that the first time I did it and then the second time around uh, a couple of days ago uh, that was kind of puzzling is California, now the nation's largest state, is really way down the list if you look at cases and deaths on a per capita basis. So the question is like, why is that? What's going on there? Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that uh, uh, how that unfolds. So, uh, at any rate, you know, the, the the point there is that there's always uh, it's always useful and helpful if you you know if you kind of look at things on a little bit more of a granular granular basis, uh, and that is kind of a sensibility that uh, uh, I think on the you know the issue that's our core issue, and that is you know disability health its impact on your work your ability to work uh, that's also an, an important consideration because you find that the kinds of conditions that uh, uh, you have to take into account that may take you out of work for an extended period of time they vary depending on what kind of work you have you know what part of the country are you in uh, gender, age, demographics, and the like. So uh, that that's kind of a lens that uh, I've been bringing over the last couple of years to a lot of the work and the data that we do, a little bit more granular uh, uh, in that. And, you know, the, the, the offshoot of that is that uh, the, as you get more granular, you're able to uh, uh, tailor things a little bit more appropriately to the needs of particular audience and uh, audiences, audience segments. Gotcha. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Are you, so, I mean, you guys are doing extensive analytics, it, it sounds like, obviously, through that thorough, um, thorough uh, description of what you're working on through the COVID tracking project. And wanted to just get a better sense, maybe a little more broad scope, what other resources you guys have been able to provide for advisor audiences and the general public? I will tell you, consciously, we have only been sharing, a, for people who follow us on social, um, you probably know we have worked very hard and have in return received a really large social media following. So we have yeah. over 34,000 followers on Facebook, which are largely consumers and advisors That's and amazing. some employers. We have an extensive following on Twitter, um, the LinkedIn company page, and the LinkedIn group. Um, and we even have a presence um, on Instagram that is solely consumers, I would say, with, uh, with actually some advisors, but the far majority are consumers. And so you have to be thinking and careful about your messaging. Um, and as we've thought about how we've been messaging specifically during this time, um, we have always thought about the consumer first. Because even if, for example, even on LinkedIn, where it would be more targeted to this audience, to advisors and brokers and agents who have really been great in following and resharing our information on LinkedIn and Twitter, 
those are the two places we probably see this audience the most active if you are active on social. We've made some conscious decisions. One is um, we only share information that we feel has that is uh, fresher, um, less served, less shared, um, and is relevant um, either to what your your audience, consumers, and people who work are concerned about or want to know more about. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, we have, when appropriate, try to focus on positive messages um, so consumers feel uh, less frightened and uh, less worried. doesn't mean they aren't still going to worry, but we've made a conscious decision to not worry. And I'll give you an example. Uh, we certainly have been highlighting large employers who have made very public announcements about how they're paying their employees. Many of them have chosen to pay their employees um, even beyond what the government uh, has provided to all of us um, if we wind up in a situation we don't want to find ourselves in. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, But today, uh, last night, Disney announced they've been paying their employees and they are going to continue to do that until mid-April, but they are at the end of what they feel they can do. And so they made a decision that they aren't going to furlough people they are going to furlough most of their employees um, because even something like ESPN is way down in revenue because they lost the um, March Madness NCAA season. They um, obviously don't have any NBA games to show, which was their next highest revenue generator. But they're going to furlough people so that they can still pay their benefits and the employee contribution portion, they are going to pay for health insurance. Hmm. But I decided not and I'm not the only one who does social, but I do a lot of it. Um, we decided not to share that information today because we didn't, not because we're trying to hide something, but we didn't want to, we're trying to do a stay calm uh, approach. So we didn't want to get people unnecessarily upset, mm-hmm. particularly because we knew the jobs numbers were coming out today. So one thing we're trying to do is help send out messages that you can reshare or repurpose yourself, you know, go into the link and do your own share on, and many of you have, um, where we're trying to do positive um, messaging. The other, obviously, um, and I'm sure we're going to talk about that, is we are ready to go out with our support material for Disability Insurance Awareness Month, what we all affectionately call DIAM. Um, But we did decide last Friday to take a step back, gather some more information, particularly from our individual disability insurance carriers, um, and then actually some some other folks who were able to share some data with us so we can understand what's going on right now around the major project product that we obviously promote, which is disability insurance. Mm -hmm. Um, um, And then we're doing a little bit of reframing and an opportunity to add some new things for you to share uh, during the month of May. Very good, awesome. And and with that, I mean, usually the what we see with the DM campaigns is is a a, a, a renewed effort. I would say maybe like a, a some replenished data and things like that. So Fred, if you have any any trends or anything that you've noticed in the analytics for 2019 or even 2020. Um, would love to hear what your thoughts are on on some other trends and things like that. Well, the, 
know, the interesting things uh, thing on, on trends is you can look and, you know, historically, uh, carriers, you know, have done uh, their, you know, their own individual blocks and uh, attempts at uh, doing a larger aggregation and an industry aggregation has been, you know, have always been challenging. So, you know, one of the things that, that we, you know, we, we try to stay on top of is, you know, how do we do that? One of the, the one area, and it's, you know, it's an imperfect surrogate, but uh, it is a, uh, uh, nonetheless, you know, it's still available to us all. The, the one thing that comes closest to some kind of a universal leak indicator is Social Security Disability. Okay. And you know, we have been uh, tracking, and actually a couple of years ago I did a, uh, uh, sat down and did a uh, an analysis based on the uh, uh, SSDI data that was publicly available to the general public. Uh, did some analysis in uh, basic uh, incidence trends, but also looking at it uh, through different lenses, uh, incidence for males versus females for different age bands, and then also by diagnostic category. Uh, my, my first go-around, you know, showed that uh, uh, since uh, 2010, which was probably the, the peak year in terms of uh, SSDI incidents, that there was a, a steady year-over-year year, uh, decrease. Uh, a year ago, when I did an update with the most recent data available at that point, uh, the thing I concluded was that there were some signs that uh, uh, the uh, the year-over-year year decline was, was at an end, and it looked like things uh, were starting to pick up a little bit. Hmm. Uh, and uh, in fact, that uh, uh, in in certain segments, uh, especially for the younger uh, younger workers, that 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 may be more the case uh, than it is for the older workers. Uh, and also diagnostic categories that there seem to be some evidence that uh, perhaps in the mental health area uh, that that may be one of the the leading indicators of the uh, the new uptick. So, you know, obviously that's something that we want to uh, we want to keep an eye on now. Uh, again, that's you know that that's the entire uh, workforce pool, or at least people who are eligible for SSDI. Uh, uh, different industry segment uh, uh, and different carrier uh, uh, versions of that will you know will likely show a, a, a somewhat different picture. Uh, and of course, that includes people you know who have no private disability coverage as well as people who do have private disability coverage and you know uh in addition to their uh their ssdi but you know that's that's something that we've been uh, uh relying on and again uh you know if you go uh <laughs> i can't believe i'm going to get ready to say this but if you want to look at my linkedin profile oh my god uh <laughs> i try to keep a low profile but uh in, in linkedin you know obviously my activity uh will, will have there the uh, various articles that i've done on my ssdi analysis that sounds great no that that's fascinating i never even thought about ssdi being a leading economic indicator but that could make a lot of sense actually well, when you <laughs> that that's the you know, every well, not everybody, but uh, the vast majority of the, uh, the workforce has, you know, had, has at least some, you know, SSDI uh, coverage and eligibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, in terms of who's covered in the private sector, oh my goodness, that that was another uh, uh, <laughs> challenge that uh, uh, I, I, I took on early on. Was that, that there's no authoritative answer? You know, who, you know, who is covered? How many people are covered or not covered? for private disability. Well, uh, we don't really know. Right. Yeah. So, 
uh, tried to nail that down. Uh, right. uh, Fred actually came up, he's, he's minimizing it. He actually got every group of people we know that offer some form of private disability insurance, including association and obviously group, um, to contribute and universally got them to sign off on the final number. And so it was wow. a large undertaking, but and including, by the way, it was information the government had asked us to consider providing. And indeed, it's 51 million, uh, to the best of our knowledge, about 51 million people have some form of private disability insurance. Wow, that's good. That's good to know. I mean, and certainly the number that jumps out is the other 100 million or more who don't have it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I do want to share a positive piece of information, yeah. particularly for this audience. Uh, we did spend the last week asking those that were willing to share uh, what did uh, individual disability insurance applications look like. And several of our members, along with uh, another group of folks that we know that uh, cell coverage have told us, in general, um, there are increased levels of application um, that are not typically seen, even though we're heading into the peak sales cycle of IDI. Um, in fact, I'll read a quote from one of our carriers, is that sales are extremely strong with more applications and more pending applications than ever before, and that they've heard from some of their agents that their calls are being returned and their clients seem more engaged and willing to proceed. So wow. um, what's, what we have to be careful of, right, as we go into Diem is is to know that we don't want to appear opportunistic with this time, but we should know that people are interested and willing to talk about it and even follow through with applying. Right, and certainly most have the time these days, you know, unless they have little kids. Unfortunately, so, right. Yeah, a little easier uh, to get in, in front of people or in, you know, with your knowledge and things like that. So, wow, that's good. That's really good information, and I think you know, the other piece that kind of underscores that uptick is the fact that we're seeing um, these underwriting modifications with the, most of these carriers, too, since it's so hard to get a face-to-face -face exam in many of these areas that are really affected by the lockdowns or shelter-in-place ordinances. Um, you know, here in the Bay Area in California, um, where exam companies have been um, told to stay home until beginning of May. So um, in response, carriers have been increasing their non-exam, non-med limits up to 10000 a month for individual DI, 25000 for business overhead expense, and even as high as a million dollars for um, buy-sell coverage. So a great time to have these conversations with your clients who are a little queasy with the, with the needles and things like that and, and just generally don't want to have to go above and beyond to secure something they hope they never have to use in the first place. So. Um, you know, you bring up a good point, Max, which is um, historically the, we've never really talked about um, business overhead or buy-sell, mm -hmm. um, and we are considering uh, doing a piece for business owners, which obviously we would encourage our agents to talk to their people who are business owners more broadly yeah. um, and talk about at least business overhead, mm -hmm. um, if not buy-sell as well, and that's something we've never entered into this campaign, um, mm. but we may take a look at doing. That would be cool. I think that that's kind of a fresh approach, and, and certainly, you know, speaking for our own agency and what we see from a demographic standpoint, um, we 
the vast majority of our applicants are business owners. Um, and we're, we're a little bit of an outlier because I think the broad majority of, of agencies across the country are still mostly medical, uh, medical professionals. But, you know, in that, I'd say probably the, the, the next, uh, the, the runner up would be for business owners. So there's an appetite there. It's just a matter of what kind of information are they getting from their agents, from, you know, the general knowledge bank around insurance and the more we can do on that end to, to help these businesses stay afloat and provide salaries and things for employees and benefits and um, the, the better off we are societally. So thank you guys. Yeah, one thing I, I will tell you about, I'll do you one more little heads up is sure. um, you're based in California, so you may not be aware of this, but New York State um, went to the property and casualty side and the life side um, asking about how they were going to handle claims around coronavirus for business interruption insurance on PNC mm. and um, overhead expense on life. And as a result of that inquiry, um, many, if not all, of the carriers, so take a look at this, have changed uh, their uh, qualifications for paying uh, business overhead expense. Um, and they are indeed have loosened the reins on paying coronavirus related claims. So if you have people who have that coverage that you know indeed um, have the coronavirus or do not but are quarantined and can't perform their occupation, um, there's an opportunity there um, to help them out. So uh, check with your carriers and how they've altered that coverage. Good to know, yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, out of respect for your time, just maybe I think it would be good to end it here. Um, and, you know, really just want to reiterate how grateful I am to have you guys available, accessible and, and willing to, to talk to our audience. So really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Uh, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, Max. Thank you so much. Uh, uh, people don't know offline. Max gave us some advice on um, how to handle DM. So we appreciate that as well. Thank you so very much for all you do and for everybody who's listening. For all you do, we uh, wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you. And thanks for coming to Plan Francisco. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed. Please be sure to subscribe and visit us again soon here at Plan Francisco.